Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning. Oh, yeah, it was so great. Listen, I got to tell you, you guys are much better looking than the first service. So thank you for, thank you for representing. Uh, we're going to snap a photo in a minute, and we're just going to make sure the first service can raise their game. You guys are killing it. So thank you. No laughter. Nothing? You just like being good looking. That's it, huh? Okay, good. Man, we're so glad you're with us for part six of Shake It Off. This is a series about how to handle the ups and downs of every relationship and also because we love Taylor Swift, the end. So uh, anyways, we're glad that you're with us. I just want to tell you real quickly, if, if you ever want to know how to find out what's going on at the Movement Church, the best way to do that is through our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. They're going to put it up right now. I want to challenge you to follow us on all those platforms. In fact, right now is a good time to check in and tell the world that you're at the greatest church you've ever been to. It's the most extremely good-looking pastor you've ever seen. And why do y'all laugh at that line every time? It just hurts my, my pride. But also, I want to tell you, when you come to church, don't come alone. Bring a friend. In fact, you can text the word invite to the phone number. I believe it's on the screen. I can't. Here, let me look around. Boom, it's there. And uh, we'll send you a digital invitation so that it'll be in your phone and not just in your pocket. And then you can text that to your friends. Say, hey, come with me to check out this church. There's free coffee. It's pretty awesome. And if you stay long enough, a movie plays right afterwards. A win-win chicken dinner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. So check that out and uh, follow us on those platforms. In fact, we feel pretty, pretty, pretty confident that if you're not following us, you may not be going to heaven. So make sure you check nothing, no laughter. Can y'all reset this clock for at least 55 to 65 minutes? I'm going to go long today, unless you guys start laughing louder, okay? Uh, anyways, we, we're excited about this series. We really are. We're unpacking how to handle the ups and downs of every relationship. And this is why we believe that the greatest season of your life is directly tied to who you do life with. Just like you heard at the anti-drug ra- drug rallies in high school, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Man, we believe that rings true. And if you want to see a life full of purpose, then man, we want to challenge you to get and do life with people who are centered around who Christ is and what he's doing in their life and challenge you to do the same. So we've talked about how to do, get better at communication, not just for marriages, but for every relationship, boyfriends and girlfriends, or with your son or with your parents or cousins or coworkers and neighbors, and how to be more effective with communication how to be careful with the filter through which we see people and interact with people, how to set healthy expectations and identify unrealistic ones. My wife dropped bombs a couple weeks ago about the power of forgiveness. And come on, listen, that's a challenging thing, especially for any of us that have walked through a challenge or hurt in relationships. Learning how to forgive is a big deal. Uh, We're going to dive into this last portion of Shake It Off, part six. And I just want to kind of start with a... Uh, really more of a little bit of a conversation. So this whole series, we've really been drilling down on the practicals. So we're not just going to pair scripture with some points. We want to give you some practicals on how can you actually have amazing relationships. But this last one, we save this for last because I believe if we don't get this component right, that we, we, we can try diligently with everything in us to have great relationships, but they won't work. 
And, and let me just kind of pose a, a question to you, or really just kind of submit a, a few thoughts. And that is, that if you look back over the course of the last months, years, maybe even decades, and you see a thread of relationships that are fragmented and broken. So maybe you, you build a friendship with so-and-so, and then it just kind of went south, and man, you know what, they stabbed me in the back, and then you moved into a new neighborhood, and you met this new man, I think this is going to be right. We're going to be great friends. But then all of a sudden that started to shift again. And man, just relationship after relationship, friendship after friendship seems to be falling apart. And, and I look back and I see more burned bridges than great relationships that move forward. Or if you're here and you're saying, man, every guy I've ever dated has always been a knucklehead. Every single relationship that I've ever been or every man I've ever been with seems to be more passive when he should stand up and lead or or if you're hearing him every time i've gotten in a relationship with a girl i started dating or man it's just she's just too strong and comes off too forcefully and too opinionated and man if you can look at the relationships of your life on every dimension if every business you've ever worked for has a myriad of people you can't stand working with if you are in this room and you fit into this demographic at all, can I just suggest or propose a question? Is it possible that the common denominator in these relationships is really the problem? Is it possible that really you or I might be the problem in the fragmented and broken relationships that we see in the past? Now let me pause, hit time out for a moment. And I know that there's some of you seated here today and you have been in a relationship where you were violated beyond what is acceptable. And I'm not suggesting that it is your fault that something like that took place. But I am here today to propose the idea that maybe if we're going to have healthy relationships on every level, that we've got to shake off a jacked up me. That I might be the problem. That's okay to laugh at that. That I might be the problem. Now, now stop looking at me. You might be the problem. You're like, yeah, that makes total sense, Pastor Kerry. It could be you. And I believe that that's not God's intention for you and for me. And I believe the scripture unpacks some very powerful yet practical components that if we'll listen to and make adjustments with, that God can do something radical inside of us to build great relationships moving forward. And I believe that paramount and fundamental to all of this is a relationship with Jesus. Which I'll unpack a little more of that later. Jesus was talking to us about this very thing. It was a couple thousand years ago. But he was, as he was speaking to people, they captured this. And it still rings true for you and me today. We find this in the book of Matthew. In chapter 7. Today I want to read from the Eugene Peterson's paraphrased version, but I love the way that he communicates. Listen to what this says. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Don't pick on people or jump on their failures or criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Let me just pause right there. Let me answer that question for you. You don't want the same treatment. Nobody in here does. It says, don't pick on people or jump on their failures or criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Listen, it says this. I love this word picture. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious 
to the ugly sneer on your own. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me after a service and say, man, Pastor Kerry, I'm so glad you preached that. That was for my husband. (laughs) That was funnier than you guys laughed. It's always fun. We sit in a service and we'll be thinking of everyone else who needs to hear this message. And sometimes we'll be pushing away what God's trying to do in our own heart. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your, just, sorry, let me read that again. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you? When your own face is distorted by contempt, it's the whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again. Playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. You might have heard this in a different form when Jesus said, why are you trying to take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye when you have a log or a beam in your own? I believe we can unpack some very specific things from scripture and begin to determine if, if maybe I'm the reason for broken relationships. And, and maybe more importantly, begin to discover some purpose that God has for each of us so that moving forward, we can build healthy and thriving relationships. Amen? Let me just pray to get us started off and, and we'll dive into this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you're here. And Holy Spirit, right now, uh, we just pause the entire service, the entire Sunday, and we just give you the permission to do what you want to do in our lives today. Lord, none of us came in here perfect, and none of us want to leave the same. So we give you permission to rearrange the furniture of our lives. That this message is for all of us here, and each of us can take something from it. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. I want to kind of do, unpack this compare and contrast of two different ways that we might be living or walking in life. And really it's a question And I think that you'll be able to pull away some specifics for your life and then some application. And I give you permission that throughout the day, if I say something and you're like, ooh, that's for me, you can disengage and take notes or write notes on your phone and just let God do what he wants to do in our lives. The key is that none of us need to leave here the same. We need to let God do something specific in us. And here's the question that I I, want to pose to you today. And that is, am I driven by insecurity or at ease in God's love? Driven by insecurity. Is insecurity fueling the way that I speak, the way that I see people, and the way that I hear things? Or am I at ease in God's love? And let me unpack what that means for you and for me. God created you and me specifically, uniquely, with purpose and with a plan. And when we have a relationship with Him, then we understand, I don't have everything figured out. I'm not in control, but God has a plan, and I'm okay with that. That's what it means to be at ease in God's love. So am I driven by insecurity or am I at ease in God's love? So here are some, some identifying factors to whether or not I fit into one of those two categories. Number one, am I, I'm driven by insecurity when I point out others' flaws. 
When I point out others' flaws. We see this in children all the time. I have a, an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. She's not that tall. She's about right here. I have an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old little girl. And as they do so often, they'll play. And then a play, playtime will turn into a fight. And then a fight will, sometimes when tempers get a little bit crazy, they get aggressive and then it turns physical. Now, not like it would be with boys. Like it might just be throwing a stuffed animal and, oh my goodness! Not something filled with cotton. Please don't hit me in the face with a stuffed animal. Right? Nothing? Gosh. Reset it again. 55 minutes starting now. Okay. And so these fights will begin, and sometimes we'll be in the other room, and we'll hear the, a fight erupt or break out, and, and we see it escalate, and so, or hear it escalate, so we run into the other room, and upon arriving in the other room, I capture Avery just launching a stuffed animal across the sky, and in slow motion, it topples and turns, and then pff, hits Brooklyn in the face, right? And then I come and I go, Avery, what are you doing? And Avery's first response is, Dad, I'm so sorry. Brooklyn, would you please forgive me? I was acting childish and irresponsible. Brooklyn, let me take the next few weeks to unpack how much I love and appreciate you. Dad, I'm sorry for acting like a child, would you? No, that's not how they respond. What's her first response? She started it. She did this to me or she said that. And, and that is exactly how we act in life. We might not be in an actual argument, but we tend to look at life and point out other people's flaws... Because I believe we feel when I can identify your flaws, it takes the magnifying glass off of my own. And what do they say to children? Every time you point a finger at someone else, what? You have three pointing right back at you. Right? Like that is the worst comeback ever. But yet we live life this way. We look at other people's flaws, their inadequacies, or what they're not doing, or how they're not delivering. And hey, listen, this has worked its way into marriage as well. This isn't just between coworkers or neighbors or, or any of that. We, we have found a niche in pointing out other people's flaws. And I love what that passage of Scripture says. It says, don't pick on people or jump on their failures or criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. And I believe if we're driven by insecurity, this is an indicator in our life. But juxtaposed to that, I believe if we're at ease in God's love, that means I recognize God is working on me and he can handle you too. God is working on me and he can handle you too. I love how that passage says, wipe the ugly sneer off of your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. What he's not saying is let's just all be messed up and all be jacked up. He's saying, start with yourself first. Identify the things in you, not your husband, not your fiance, not your brother, your sister, your mom, your coworker, your neighbor, but start with you. Identify what in you needs to be adjusted. Start there. And listen, God is working on you and God can work on them too. And we can be okay with that. And maybe when you work on yourself, it's, it's suggesting there's an idea. You might be able to offer a lending hand to a friend to say, hey, here's a washcloth. In other words, this is what worked for me. I've been there and it is not fun, I know. But you don't have to live that way. Here's an option. I love it. 
I'm at ease in God's love when I realize that God is working on me and he can handle you too. Listen, you need to know this, that every single person in this room, we are all just one decision away from stupid. You know, sometimes, sometimes people's flaws and issues are more visible than others. Man, we get real quiet, didn't we? Sometimes it's easier to identify someone else's flaws because it's out in the open. It's external. Everybody can see it. But listen, all of us are one decision away from stupid. That's why we have police officers. If have anyone in this room, and I want a show of hands, have you ever gotten a traffic ticket? Would you raise your hand? See, don't we all just feel better about ourselves now? Everyone has, except for my mother-in-law. She's never gotten a ticket, but that's because she drives seven miles an hour. People have died on the highway because of how slow she drives. I'm kidding. Listen, we're all one decision away from stupid. We're all one decision away. So let's just let God do work on us. Amen? I'm driven by insecurity when I belittle others' success. When something great happens for someone else, if I'm driven by insecurity, then I, it, that, that kills me and I'm going to belittle your success. This happens to me every football season. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan because Jesus loves the Cowboys. You're welcome. Thank you. Clay, Clay knows Jesus. That's why he said amen. Now this season, like the last 20 years, has been rough. But just chill out for a minute. Every time the Cowboys win, I post it on Instagram or Facebook yeah, woohoo, go Cowboys, Cowboys Nation. Not everybody else sucks, just go Cowboys. Immediately the response from friends or tags is, yeah, just wait till December. They always fall apart in December. Somebody just waved their hand and said, amen. I kicked them out, ushers, right now, right? Just wait until December. It's like, no, 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 I can't just say, yeah, it was a great win, guys. Congratulations. No, I've got to do something to take away from the success in your life. And I feel like in life, if we feel like we're losing in any area, we don't want to feel like anyone else is winning. And so if I'm driven by insecurity, then in those moments, I'm going to belittle your success. I'm not going to let it be a big win for you. And if you come talk to me, I may say one thing, but on the interior of my heart, I'm thinking another. And that's because insecurity is simply a self-absorbed focus on me. It's thinking through the filters of what... I don't have and who I have I am not and what I have not achieved and this is my regret. How come they're in this position? Why did they get the promotion? I've been working here for six years. Why did that person get that great house? I've been trying to save money and we just can't seem to make it happen. Man, why did they get a new home? I'm still in an 1,100 square foot condo with no AC. And that's what we think through the filter of insecurity. It's what I don't have, who I am not, and what I have not achieved. And then we wonder why we have unhealthy relationships. Because I'm driven by insecurity. When I'm at ease in God's love, I'm stoked when you're stoked. And that's just a paraphrase of a scripture found in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, I believe, actually. It says, rejoice when others rejoice and weep when others weep. We don't use the words rejoice and weep very often anymore, so I like to use the word stoked. Somebody say stoked. Hallelujah. I'm at ease in God's love when I'm, I'm excited when you're excited. When you're in the midst of a great season. When you're in the midst of a great triumph. And I mean, I'm excited for you. And, and, and when you're in a, a rough patch. I'm not gloating that you are experienced discouragement. But I'm, I mean, I'm with you when you're down. You know, it, when, when my father passed away in April... 
it, it was amazing to me the difference in, 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 in people's who tried to help console me or come up and just share, hey, I want you to know I'm thinking about you and praying for you. There's a vast difference between someone who has lost a loved one that's close and someone who has not walked through that. People who have not walked through the loss of a close loved one, they don't know what to say sometimes. And I, some of you were very gracious to me, and I'm not talking negatively about you in this manner, or anyone for that, so you just don't know. And so you know what, say things, sometimes people say foolish things. They don't know what to say, they're just trying to help. But then when you, when you meet somebody that's walked through the loss like that, you, sometimes they don't even say words. They just come and put their hand on you. This past week I was at a conference and a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in about a year and a half, hadn't talked to, really more of an acquaintance than a friend. You know, we might hug, but that's because I'm a hugger. Thanks, Megan. And I saw him and he just, his, his countenance was heavy. He was just discouraged. I said, hey man, what's going down? And he just started crying. Tears. We're at a conference, thousands of people walking around us. He said, my great friend died tragically two days ago. This morning I was planning the memorial service with his wife. I'm sharing the eulogy tomorrow. Couldn't finish sentences. I just started crying. And I just pulled him in for a hug. And he just cried on my shoulder. Two grown men just crying. I didn't know his friend. But I know what it's like to be there. You know what's crazy? We've texted more in the last week and a half than we have in a year and a half. Because our relationship became healthy through that because he felt, man, I, I, it, was, it was empathy. It wasn't sympathy. I don't know the guy, but man, this is a friend. And that's what we need in our lives. Look at me. And that's what the people in your world need. Not just when it, things are, are tough and rough, but when things are good. You know you've got a great friend when you can call them and share something super exciting. And they'll be like, yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. I'm so stoked for you, man. What an awesome. God is so faithful and so good. You might wonder why is it that your relationships aren't healthy. And maybe it's because you might be driven by insecurity. And you find it difficult to celebrate someone else's success. But if you're at ease in God's love. Then man, you're excited when they're excited. And you're bummed when they're bummed. And this really is the litmus test. This right here, this is the litmus test to know if you really are driven by insecurity or at ease in God's love. You know what a litmus test is? It's a piece of paper. And it'll take liquid and they'll drop it on the piece of paper and it will change color based upon the acidic level in that liquid. Why? Because they need to know if I touch this, will it burn my face off? And this is the same in relationships right here. If you can't genuinely be happy for someone else when you might be in your darkest hour, you might be driven by insecurity. And even though you look back and you see a series of burned bridges through relationships, if you and I don't make adjustments, there'll be many more in the future. And I believe God wants us to have great relationships. But we have to start by working right here. Are y'all tracking with me? Just start by working right here. Driven by insecurity. When I belittle your success, but I'm fully aware and embrace and at ease in God's love. 
And I'm happy when you're happy. I'm bummed when you're bummed. I'm driven by insecurity when I'm the constant or consistent one-upper, right? You know one-uppers, you tell a story, oh man, it's so exciting, I just got two apples, well I just got six, okay, great, right? Just a one-upper, I'm, just, I'm constantly bragging or trying to validate myself when I'm with you. And I believe it's because sometimes we want people to validate us, and if you see the value in me, then maybe it will change my suspicions of myself, that my value isn't there. And so I try to constantly tell you what I'm doing and what I've accomplished and where I'm going and what my vacation was like and who I hung out with and what I did on the weekend. And man, if I'm constantly in a place where I am sharing with you what great is happening with me, it's, in, it's indicative of the fact that I might be driven by insecurity. My daughter, Avery, man, she loves affirmation. She's a poor girl. She's like in every sermon illustration. She loves affirmation. She comes home from school. Man, mom, I got this grade or this did it. And the teacher said I did that. And Megan will go, oh my gosh, it's so great. We're so proud of you. So excited. Woohoo! Then I come home and guess what she does? Runs up to me immediately. Guess what happened at school today, dad? Why? Because she just wants to genuinely share what happened at school? No, because she wants affirmation from me. She wants to feel valued by her father. So I just slap her in the face and say, get out of here. And I walk, I'm just making sure you're still awake. So what do I do? High five, babe, fist bump. I am proud of you. I could not be more proud of you. Let me tell you why. Because you gave it everything that you've got. And she's doing this. That's exactly her face. And then she'll tell us eight times throughout the night. So today, I got to We know, Avery, you told us. We'll read this scripture to her. Proverbs 27, 2. It says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Now my daughter's six, but some of us are still acting like six-year-olds. Constantly talking about what we're doing. And it might be an indicator you're driven by insecurity. But I'm at ease in God's love when I'm going to encourage you and lift up Jesus. I love Hebrews 3, 13. It says this, but exhort one another, which means encourage. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Isn't it interesting that the writer here correlates my ability to avoid temptation to your role of encouragement in my life? And I wonder about that person in your life. Maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor, or a friend, or a spouse. And it seems like everything that they have been doing gets on your every last nerve. And I wonder if they don't have someone in their world encouraging them, speaking life into them, saying, I believe in you. Do you realize that right now there really is an army of men and women across the hallway? Some of the greatest leaders in Orange County, literally, are across the hallway in theater one, two, three, and the party room. And they're not babysitting your kids. And they're not just simply teaching the truth of God's words to your kids. But they're getting down on your kids' level and saying, hey, I want you to know that I believe in you. And that God's plan for you is bigger than you could possibly imagine.
and you need to keep dreaming because God is just getting started. And no matter how difficult school may be, and even when mom and dad are fighting, or even if dad isn't around, you need to know we believe in you. Why? Because we believe that if we can encourage them for 75 minutes of the week, then one of their favorite places to be will be in our freaking church, right? And they'll know that no matter what happens through the week, that there is an adult who believes in them and is behind them and is praying for them. Look at me in the eyes. And that coworker that ticks you off, that spouse that you're frustrated with, maybe instead of pointing out their flaws or talking about them behind their back, you just need to speak life into them and just say, you know what I love about you? You put up with my sorry knucklehead self. No laughter there, huh? You know what I love about you is you're always faithful. Do you know what I love about my wife? It doesn't matter what we walk through. It could be the darkest season, the most challenging experience. She always has a great attitude. Always. If you've ever seen my wife not smiling, run, because hell and death is coming. (laughs) That's a fact. Always smiling. She always has a great attitude. And her faith is always massive. And she'll say, you know what, Carrie, it's okay. We've been here before. This may be challenging, but we're going to make it. And even though right now we don't know what God is up to, we've seen him historically in our past. And he always pulls through, so we're going to make it. I'm the opposite. It's everything is crumbling. The sky is falling. We're dying dead. Death. It is horrible. It's over. Oh my God. And she's just like, nope, we're okay. We're going to get up tomorrow and do it again. We got this thing. Why? Because God's got this thing. I love that about my wife. And right now, I just said that because I'm hoping to get really lucky tonight. You're welcome. Some of you feel awkward, but husbands, some of you need to take a note right now. Encouragement. Encouragement. <laughs> Encouragement. Man, I just, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what would change in the relationships that we're in. I wonder what would change if we focused less on the flaws. But Pastor Kerry, there are things that need to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jesus said, take care of that nasty sneer on your own face. But Pastor, you don't understand, and we have been talking about this for weeks, for months, for decades. No, hold on. Just take care of the sneer on your face. And, but Pastor, you don't understand where we've been and what we've walked through. Well, just, I wonder what would happen if we stopped focusing on the flaws. We stopped belittling the successes. And we just honed in on encouragement. I wonder what would change in our own heart. It's amazing to me, and I I still have multiple points, and I'm just not going to keep going through them, because I just, I feel like it would be easy for us to talk through um, more points and bring more scriptures and try to tell more stories and try to make you laugh louder and longer. But I feel like we could do all of that and still miss the point. That God wants to do something radical in your life. And he's designed us with the hope and the desire for healthy relationships. But they start with you. And you might need to really take some personal inventory 
before we leave or before the day goes on and say, God, what do you want to do in me? Am I driven by insecurity? Do I see critically more than I see the potential? When other people are succeeding, do I feel more inadequate? Do I avoid relationships with strong and confident people because when I'm around them, I feel inferior? I just wonder, I wonder how many of us could slip in and out of a service like this, but miss all that God is and wants to do in us and through us. What are the things that God's been tapping you on the shoulder about in this series? And maybe some of you, when I talked about relationships past, it just regurgitated brokenness or regret. Or maybe even even in a church experience, we talk about things of yesterday and it actually can surface doubt or unbelief. And I wonder what God wants to do in your life today. At the Movement Church, we're idealists. We believe that God's potential is unbelievable. And His potential in you is unmatched and unparalleled. And we actually believe that all of us in this room have barely scratched the surface of what God wants to do. But at the same time, we actually have to give God the ability to make changes in us. Listen, at the Movement Church, we say this all the time, it's okay to not be okay. You can come to this church and be a part of this family and be the most jacked up individual in our world. You have a place to belong. We are not looking for perfect people. We are not, you can come here and not even believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And we're okay with that. You don't have to believe the same things that we do. There is a place for you. Because all of us are one decision away from stupid. All of us are just a little bit jacked up. And we say that, not to leave it there, but to challenge you that everybody in this room needs to work on getting better. And not just with some self-help, I think it right, I'm going to have a great attitude, I'm going to try to you know, be happy and smile more and put out good vibes. But we believe that God's greatest for you is attached to what you allow God to do in you and through you. So it's not just this conjured up, I'm going to think good things and feel good things and be a good person. But no, wait, I'm going to allow God to do something miraculous in me because I'm just a little bit jacked up. This isn't in my notes. I've shared this before, but... For those of you that are new, I just want to share with you my story. So we begin to wrap up this service early. I raised in the church. My mom and dad were pastors. My grandfather pastor. I married a preacher's kid. I've been in church my whole life. I can tell you one hand how many times I've missed a Sunday. Even on vacations, we go to church. But that doesn't make me a follower of Christ. 
And in fact, what I did is I grew up in an environment where I knew how to act good and say the right things and be somebody that was looked like put together and everything was all right in front of other people. But on the inside, I was corrupt, selfish and absorbed with me. I made a series of horrible decisions, was addicted to pornography in a disastrous way as a teenager. Graduated high school and I'm interning at a church. Before I got married to my wife and a series of poor choices led to getting involved in a relationship with a married woman. And it was disastrous. Brought all kinds of destruction to that marriage. From the the very core of who I am, I felt like I was done with purpose and ministry. My girlfriend at the time is now married to me. She's not going to have me anymore. And I just feel like so many people come in feeling that way. But can I tell you that God's love and grace is miraculous? And God did a work in me to help me change the way that I perceive things and see people. And change the way that I would speak and think and talk and hear. And you know what? He's not done yet. He's still working on me. And I'm okay with that. My question for you today is, are you allowing God to work on you? Because we can talk about it. I can give you 14 points of how to. But it starts first with surrender to what Jesus wants to do in your world right now. And I would hate to leave today with a great funny video of Taylor Swift and points and scriptures and all kinds of thoughts. But nothing really changes on the inside because I've been there. And that leads to destruction. So you don't have to be What's God speaking to you? What's God wanting to do in your life? And nobody is exempt from this. Whether you're on our team or you've been here for weeks and months, what's God speaking to you? What does he want to do in your life? And the bigger question is, will you let him? For some of you in this room, you might say, I've tried this thing. I don't really know how faith works, but I've tried and I just feel a connection and a gap for some of you in here you might say i tried to pray i've been to some churches but that relationship thing with jesus that you talk about it's non-existent i feel separated and i would tell you that the bible actually talks about that very feeling of separation it's called sin and it does separate us from a relationship with god it's sobering. It, the consequences are death and an eternity in hell. And, and what's even scarier is that everybody in this room has sin in our life. But the Bible offers a radical solution called the gift of God. He sent Jesus to live a sinless life. And to die on the cross. Not just so he can put him on a chain and wear a necklace. But he died on the cross 
to pay the ransom or the payment or the consequence of your sin and mine. We don't have to get perfect. We don't have to attend church enough. We just simply have to start by saying, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. You're not even going to get out of your seat. Nobody else has to know. But if you've never made that decision, as I pray that prayer, I want to challenge you to repeat it after me in your own heart. And I want everybody to look at me in this room for one minute. Some of you in here have been running from God. And you're playing with your faith. And your faith is the summation of church attendance. And there are things that God wants to do miraculously in you. So that you can build healthy and amazing Christ-centered relationships moving forward. Look at me in the eyes. Some of you came in here with the weight and the chains and the burdens of broken relationships past. And I believe God wants to do something real today and bring freedom. And some of you might need to start by praying this prayer with me. Offering a recommitment of your faith to him. So whether you've never prayed the prayer or today God's saying it's time to come back. If that's you, I want to challenge you as I pray. Repeat it after me in your own heart. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. We're almost finished. No one looking around. If that's you and you say, I need to pray that prayer. I've never made that decision. Or you're here and you say, that's me. I've been running from God and I'm coming back today. I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life. Today's the day to come back. Just right where you're seated in your own heart. Repeat this prayer after me to say God I know you're real I know you love me I've got sin in my life would you forgive me thank you for sending Jesus to pay the ransom for my sin all across this room if that's you heads bowed eyes closed just repeat this phrase after me in your own heart Jesus I give you my life If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com, and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.